Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast, the podcast focusing on things pro soccer and the DMV and across the United States. My name is Jose Mania, sports writer for the Sports Post, and joining me as always, the co-host that has the most to say, at least hopefully today, Mario Maya from the Tipo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. I have had a uh, excellent weekend of soccer and fun. I was at a wedding, uh, my cousin's wedding. So shout out to her and congratulations on your nuptials. And my feet are just tired from dancing cumbia all night long. Lucky bastard. But anyway, <laughs> enough about that. Uh, we'll get into the spirit and what the heck is happening over there in a second. But we might as well start with DC United as the local squad was playing at home after losing to Atlanta last week. And guess what? DC United did not fail to impress. They scored three first half goals and route to a 4-2 victory over FC Cincinnati. The win puts United temporarily back into a tie for sixth place for the Eastern Conference champ, uh, conference uh, standings with eight matches remaining with the top seven heading to the playoffs. Goals were scored. We had two scored by Paul Riola, one by Steve Birnbaum. Mario, what were your thoughts on how United played overall? We got the return of uh, Nigel Roberta, and he scored in an interesting call, to say the least. But, um, you know, what were your thoughts overall on United's play, their offensive structure? They just seem to have been clicking on all cylinders, especially in those first 45. Dominant performance, especially in the first 45. I think they pretty much dominated the pace of the game for about a good 70 minutes of the match up to the fourth goal. They, they were able to, uh, the, pre, uh, the pressing all, all itself, the pressing style that they played was able to suffocate Cincinnati in such a way that they were able to find ideas offensively, even though Thanks to Lucho Acosta, they were able to find glimmers of uh, of offensive of uh, of some kind some sort of offense, but it just really wasn't for not. And Luciano Acosta, for his part, was being man marked by one Andy Nahar, who first twenty seconds of the game done broke his ankles on the fir- on the fir- on their first meeting with each other. I mean, Lucho returned the favor and almost scored. But Andy Nahar was able to stop Luciano Acosta. Even if Andy Nahar wasn't able to get to Luciano Acosta, Steve Birnbaum and Donovan Pines were all were there to pick up the slack. So Luciano Acosta wasn't able to do much. So he became a, they made him essentially a non-factor in this game. And just the high pre- again the high the high pressing style that DC United has learned to play this season paid dividends again. They were able to create opportunities. Julian Gressel got three goals. Got three assists. Uh, he assisted on two of Paul Riola's goals. I think the third goal was interesting because while we were there, MLS also gave Edison Flores the assist, even though Julian Gressel's cross bounced off a defender and just so happened to land in Paul Riola's uh, uh, line of sight, which he just one times it. But other than that, I think it. I think all in all, and I bear repeating here. It was a dominant performance through and through for a good 75 minutes of the game, even though those last five minutes were a little bit shaky that they gave up two goals. But luckily for DC United, it didn't it didn't get, go past that. And also 
I got to ask the million dollar question. Did it take that long for a VAR review to actually figure out if Nigel Roberto was offside or not? But then again, we found out he wasn't offside. Still one of the more interesting VAR calls I've ever seen in my life. Well, it's also a reminder of you playing to the whistleblows and credit to Nigel Roberta continuing to play, even with the, the first off, the flag was late at going up. Then it was risen after he had already taken three touches of the ball. And the referee quickly thought, like, you can see that there was a disagreement. Never once did the referee go check with his linesman. Uh, we do know that FIFA has told these referees, play, don't you don't have to play so tight anymore. Like, if you think it's a tight call, let it go, and we'll go to VAR. And so that's what ended up happening here. The goal was taken away because of the offside call, even though it was tight. But the referee was clearly going to go check on it. He was just waiting for the VAR referee to either say, yes, it was a goal, no, it was a goal. I don't think they should do that anymore. I think in the, I'm bare repeating this over and over again. My problem with VAR is not the actual function of VAR. It's how it's implemented. I think the linesman gets things wrong. If you trust just on what the VAR referee says, you might get it wrong too. So it should be, hey, dude, I see something. Go check it out. Okay. And they could talk over there under when he's looking at the cameras. It shouldn't be, hey, let me go look at this replay real quick. I'll let you know. And it's like you're waiting, like you're at a drive-thru. You're wondering if they still have fries or not at 2 in the morning. Like, it's just, just like don't waste more time anymore. That's my only gripe. In terms of the United's performance, I thought that they were solid offensively, especially the first 45, uh, the second half. I mean, we saw it. They did the double substitution, cleared some guys out because they're going to play midweek um, and then against Min- at Minnesota. And then. No, it's here. They're, it, at it's here, home it's here my bad. It's, it's against Minnesota. So they wanted to rest some guys. Totally understand that. But I thought Nigel Roberto was a good change of pace. Uh, he came in and played to, the wh- played to the whistle, and that's good on him. Other guys would have stopped and not played because. They saw the flag, they weren't sure. Nigel kept playing. I like that. Offensively, they played great. I thought they neutralized Acosta well. Bernier did absolutely nothing. Did anything. Oh, man. I, I forgot that he was even on the field at some point during this game. <laughs> but I do, I do have to give our fans, because they're very critical. I love Donovan Pines, but he, he's, it's now a couple of games here where a goal happens and it's coming off of his mistake. And we constantly hear on the post game, whether it's Hernan or some of his teammates, you know, that's a lesson learned. He'll learn from it. I mean, Donovan, he's got to learn sooner because you don't want to be making those mistakes in the playoffs and leaving opportunities uh, open for Cincinnati. Cause let's say it was zero zero and you leave that open to uh, new England you're gonna have a. You're gonna probably give up the lead, until. So he's he's gotta watch his mistakes. Please don't become Omar Gonzalez. I know that's a Maryland trait. Please don't become Omar Gonzalez, and a mistake a game. I'd really appreciate it. But shout out to Julian Gressel. He he has really adapted to where we thought he would be better as a box to box when he came to DC, but 
he's really adapted to this uh, weird wing role where him and Andy have really communicated well on who goes up, who stays back. His assists have been, in this game were clinical. And just overall, I think he's done better this season than last year. He's really adapted to the team. And, and heck, like, like he mentioned in the press conference, this team is getting better and better and also healthier at the right moments. Obviously, we, we want everybody healthy, you know, and, and, and Nigel is obviously part of that. And then he's obviously scored goals um, in the past for us, important goals in the past for us. And, and you know, we need him to be to be healthy and to, to get minutes in, in order to be be able to play and then provide like he did tonight. So um, certainly something uh, that, that is nice to have, you know, a change of pace guy off the bench um, or from the start at times. So. Um, yeah, like I said, but but Eddie's coming back, you know, now healthy. He's been playing a couple of games, so it's obviously good. You know, Paul can stay healthy, hopefully, and and you can see kind of as we get our rhythm that, that we have options uh, off the bench, which I felt like we never really had uh, the whole season. So um, obviously, we're trying to trying to get everybody healthy and trying to get everybody back, so so that those those important games that are coming up, we can we can really um, yeah, play, play to the strength of the whole squad, not just, not just, uh, 13, 14, 15 guys, you know, that, that, um, that have played, uh, obviously that, that are, that were healthy before. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have everybody back, Nigel included, and then nice for him to get off, uh, off to a good start as well today with a goal. Right. I think it's especially key that you get Nigel Bertha back after he was out for a while with an injury. And also getting back other key pieces like Paul Ariola, who missed out a couple of games due to injuries during this stretch of games. And they're get, it seems they're getting healthy and clicking at the right time. Uh, I, do, I am going to second your concerns with Donovan Pines. Yeah, he's making some clinical mistakes. And I'm not sure whether it's just, I, I said last game, it was probably just a little bit of the game rust from not playing for about a month after picking up an injury at the Gold Cup. But I'm like, yeah, I know that they say that he's going to learn from this, but, buddy, you're, you're going to have to learn from the mistakes pretty quickly and on the fly, especially considering that playoffs are approaching and, you know, you're still fighting for for your playoff life with the team. So it, it, it's got to be something that he's got he's to make the proper adjustments to. Uh, outside of that, also with – in regards to Julian Gressel playing this weird kind of winger role and kind of alternating with Andy Dahar, it just seems to be working because both of them are creating opportunities on offense that, quite frankly, you didn't get to see under Ben Olsen. And I think Julian, I think Julian Gressel has adapted a lot better to this system just because it's a high-pressing system and it's something of a system that he played similar to in Atlanta under Tata Martino. Uh, more, uh, more in particular, even though he was playing more of a box-to-box role in Atlanta, he here he's played more of a winger, but he's also getting that, getting that opportunity to track back and not necessarily create most of the opportunity, uh, be the one responsible for creating all the opportunities. You're creating different goal-scoring opportunities from all different ways, whether it be uh, through passes down the middle or just pretty much the wing play, playing it out the out in the wings with uh, Kevin Paredes and. In some cases, Joseph Mora, Julian Gressel, or Andy Nahar, whoever plays down that left-hand side. Uh, another guy that's kind of seemed to uh, getting a da- uh, much more well-adapted to this system is Edison Flores. It kind of shows in these last couple of games. 
uh, if, if you if anybody's noticed, Hernan Lozada has got him playing this weird this weird 10 kind of a role that also allows him to play a little bit as a winger. And he seems more comfortable with it and he's adjusted well. So it's glad to see that he's finally picking up that kind of, uh, picking it up at the right time as well. So all in all, I think uh, going forward, I think DC United should be fine, especially considering that they're, they're clicking at the right time and they're getting players back from injuries at the right time. Yeah, I think, and it was mentioned by our colleague over at the Black and Red United, Jason Anderson. United looks better in this weird, in this hybrid three-four-three, with two two main guys next to the main striker, which is Ola Kamara. I think the ultimate goal is to make um, to make Edison one of the three up top. But right now they have him in mid. Um, and that's good. Like as long as he's on the field, I think that was the one negative about last season. He was, he caught the injury. We weren't then COVID happened, and then this year, as he was getting games and he looked like he was getting comfortable in that three four three formation, he suddenly got injured again. And I think the most important thing is him getting minutes, because you do have people in the fan base, including myself, who are asking is for what he's producing worth the money we're paying. And so I think that it's not fair for us to judge him if he hasn't had a lot of matches under his belt. And and just more to the point of being healthy, like Donald Pines is playing well. He's outside of the one mistake of match. I think he's earned his spot on the starting lineup uh, beating Briant. And that's just basically because of youth and his experience of playing the ball on the ground. But Brendan Heinz-Eich looks to be getting better. Hernan Losada is no longer giving us injury updates for some reason, but okay. But I, I, I think if we have a stable back line, United is going to be one of those teams you don't want to play in the playoffs because it's shown, United has shown that even on the road, they're going to be a tough challenge. But if United gets a home match, I think you'd want no team wants to play United here especially in a knockout situation. Right, especially because this team just feeds off the energy of the crowd here at Audi Field. It, it shows. I mean, against Atlanta, they played really well. But, you know, in some instances, Atlanta also, and this is where home field advantage becomes key. You can tell Atlanta in that game last Saturday fed off the energy that the crowd was bringing them. And so you kind of noticed it here, just the energy and the raucousness of Audi Field. Players can pick that, pick up on that, and they and they feed off that, and it, and it bring and it and it brings them brings them a lot more, I guess, comfort and also just letting them know, like, hey, we got the crowd behind us, let's give them a show. Right, exactly. So, hold the United remains healthy. Coming up on the schedule, we mentioned it earlier. DC will take on Minnesota and then they will head to uh, back. They will head, <laughs> they will play Minnesota at home, 7 30 kickoff, and then play at Exploria Stadium in Orlando, Orlando City FC, before then taking a week off for the international break and then taking on a very strong Nashville side. Moving on. <laughs> Of course, is 
what we just witnessed earlier today, and that is the return of the Washington Spirit after 28 days of not playing football due to COVID concerns. They are back, and they were able to put off all the distractions, all the suspensions, all the problems, everything going on around them in their orbit. They were able to get a 2-1 victory at Segura Field over Kansas City. Rookie Tara McCown scored 15 seconds shortly after the second half began to put the spirit up uh, 2-1, which was the final score. They still are tied with the Houston Dash for sixth place at the sixth and final playoff spot. So coming down the home stretch, Mario, you watched the game and you even attended the press conference. What were your thoughts on the match? Yeah, I think the Spirit played well. I think it was important that they got that they tied the game at half uh, prior to the start of the uh, at the end of the half. Thanks to Andy Sullivan scoring her first goal of the season. I thought she had scored at some point, but I was like, first goal of the season, really? Wow, did not well, know that. I mean, since we're here, let's talk about it. The the penalty kick was created off of a weird. Kelly, Kelly weird Harris trying to. Yeah, she's trying to stop a, a a a chip ball into the box. She's got her back to goal. She has a defender behind her. Go, yes, the defender's grabbing her arm to an extent, but Kelly then puts her arms up and just lays back. And, and yes, you can. Kelly O'Hara was trying to do a trust fall exercise prior to the penalty, <laughs> and bam, it worked. I just. I don't know what the angle the ref saw. Maybe you just see the arm grab and it was going to be a call. I think I think he saw the trust fall action. I think that's what <laughs> he just saw, like, after the arm grab. He or she, whoever the referee was. Yeah. <laughs> it just it just didn't look good to me. I, I just. No. And, and so they called the penalty. Andy Sullivan took it perfectly. Uh, first goal of the season. And, well, you know, we everybody was at Segra Field, you know, coming back from using the bathroom, grabbing something at the concession stand, grabbing your beer or whatnot. And, bam, 11 seconds in, Tara McCown scores the game winning, what turned out to be the game winning goal. So, blink if you blink and you missed it moment right there. But it was a good struck ball from outside the box. Nothing that French could do for uh, about it, trying to get to the ball. But for the most, for the most part, throughout the second half, the Spirit were the much more dominant team. They were creating goal-scoring opportunities. I felt they could have scored two or three more goals after that just because they were able to just take it to Kansas City. Kansas City's defense wasn't able to do much in the way of stopping players. Also, uh, Trinity Rodman's uh, Filth Express came back. She put the <laughs> nutmeg on one of these players. It was excellent. I yelled ole from my uh, from my living room. It was great, but other than outside of that, I think the Washington Spirit had a dominant second half. It showed, and they were able to get three points. And frankly, for everything that's gone on with them in the past month, they needed it. I feel like after Kansas City scored the first goal, they really settled down and played their kind of game. Um, it was their first win at Sagra. It's been a thing that they struggle playing at Sagra because of the turf and how it bounces the ball. We saw it with one play where Ashley Sanchez 
pays attention. Uh, French, who's the goalkeeper, see is ready to come out and grab the ball, but the ball takes a divot bounce and it bounces backwards, and then it comes back essentially back to Sanchez. Sanchez is like. Well, shoot, if I get a chance to chip her, why not? And she goes up front, tries to chip her. They basically both collided, uh, but French was able to grab the ball and um, may, uh, clear it out for before any dang- dangers happened. But the Spirits had its problems with this field, and so to see them after the goal be able to move the ball around, uh, cont- contain possession... I thought one of the underlying strengths was, once again, Andy Sullivan, who had a great appearance uh, with the U.S. Women's National Team, helping them destroy and obliterate Paraguay. I, I thought... <laughs> Not once, but twice. Twice. That's why I use both words. <laughs> it's just... I think that she really helped with containing the midfield, because especially in the second half, there were moments where Kansas City was trying to advance forward and see if they can create an attack. It, I just felt that the midfield was solid enough to any attack, unlike the first half where Kansas City had multiple opportunities that felt dangerous and you felt that they could score on. There was not – it went they went about 30 minutes without creating a shot. And that's in large part to the spirit create, holding, maintaining position, and then the midfield creating turnovers, limiting any exposure to the penalty area – and limiting anything Kansas City could have done to tie that game. Right. I think one of the other things when it comes to the turf, there's another play where Trinity Rodman kind of plays a through ball. I think it was also a combination of Ashley Sanchez just not paying attention. And, like, I, I feel like the ball took a weird bounce, and it just really skidded all the way past Ashley Sanchez and out of bounds. But, again, that that's what happens when you play on turf. It takes these weird bounces, and I, I – I understand that I totally understand where the players are coming from because that's got to be a weird situation. But outside of that, I think to what you said, they were doing really well and just containing possession and able to just create opportunities for the most, for the most part throughout the second half and limiting Kansas city's chances to essentially have them not take a shot on goal for 30 minutes. And that's credit to the work that they put in, prior to the game prior to the game coming into this week right and speaking of like coming into this game we'd be blind and dumb not to acknowledge what's been going on this week it was confirmed or at least reported by the washington post that backup goalkeeper devin kerr was suspended for one game uh for fail failing to follow team staff directives and it looks to be that she was the source of the COVID exposure that caused the two uh, suspensions, I mean, the two forfeits um, in the past couple weeks and why the spirit couldn't play. And then we had, I mean, Mari, you, you brought it up a little bit in the pre, uh, the pre, us pre-gaming here before the show, uh, where... I hadn't noticed it until you brought it up that it was awfully quiet. I was more struggling with the camera work, but it was awfully quiet and turned out there's a problem with the supporters. I mean, look, everything that's going on, the post brought, uh, I've unveiled some parts of the investigation. 
that, you know, a lot the majority of the women who used to work on the spirit no longer work with the club have left for other opportunities. Um, they may or may not be related to the culture and the environment. We now know that one of the operators of the team, Larry Best, the president sporting director, was known to calling one of the players a dumb broad. Both Larry Bess and Steve Baldwin were not at the match, according to sources. Um, meanwhile, why Michelle Kang, who's the co-owner, who's battling Baldwin for control of the club, was there with uh, Devin Tablet, uh, one of the key investors of the team, and Ben Olsen, who is now the Spirits president of club operations. I mean, we'll play Andy Sullivan's words uh, in a second because I think it's it sums up everything. But I just think everything that's going on with this team, it needs to get resolved. And if it doesn't get resolved by the end of this regular season or even the end of this full ca- this full season, it has to be resolved before the the draft next year. Because you don't want a situation where if you're a potential coach, you're unsure who's who your boss is. If you're the players, you're unsure if, you're, if you should stay. As mentioned in previous podcasts, the Spirit have had multiple off-seasons where close to seven to nine players leave the team. As a fan and as a person who watches the product and evaluates it as journalism, it's kind of hard to follow this team when you have such turnover and it's not even a college team. College teams, it's acceptable. You still have four-year seniors in college teams. I can't even say there are four-year seniors on this team in particular. <laughs> like the oldest player is that's been a tenured player on the team. Maybe Ashley Hatch, who didn't even play today. Uh Maybe uh, uh, Andy Sullivan. <laughs> Maybe you know, there's a there's like two other players I can't think of at the top of my head right now. But that's it. <laughs> it turns with long tenured players, so it it was good for them to get this win, to get this monkey off their back, get the COVID thing sorted. But I do think going forward, this needs to end. <laughs> it really does need to end. It's been extreme, like to be upfront, it's been extremely, extremely difficult. And it's been really hard for us to come together, whether that's emotionally come together because we're drained or physically come together because of like COVID restrictions and things like that. So to be able to pull out that type of performance with like very difficult preparation is awesome. So imagine what, how good we'll be when we get to train together every day and have our ducks in a row and stuff. And like, to be upfront, we need, we need this investigation to come to a close. Like that is just, we just need some closure on that front so we can move forward for this final push. So hopefully we hear from that soon. Yeah, no, it, I, I agree. I, I think you took the words out of my mouth there. It, it really just needs to end at this point because this is getting, it's not even getting depressing. It's just getting annoying and infuriating with everything that's gone on. And, summed up with everything that came out in the la- la- latest report here from the post. Yeah, it, it, it needs to end. Also, if you're, if you're Larry Best, what's wrong with you? 
that's all I got. Uh, that's all I got to add to that one. What in the hell is wrong with you? What is your major malfunction? But uh, can you explain why the supporters were quiet? All right. So uh, the Spirit Squadron put out pulled, put out something on Thursday on Twitter, and I think this is more or less a response to to the uh, latest report that came out from the Washington Post, and they put out in a statement where they said. We no longer have confidence that Steve Baldwin can uh, effectively lead the Washington spirit. So again, I'm reading this verbatim from what they posted on, on their statement on their Twitter account. Until new ownership publicly puts a forth a plan that ensures a safe environment for players and staff and commits to a true vetting process for hiring qualified employees at the highest levels, we limit our game day activities. That includes the flying of flags, chants, playing of drums and in the supporter section to the players of the Washington spirit. This is not a decision that we've come that we have come to lightly. We understand that our actions will have immediate and adverse effects on the atmosphere. We help to create in the stadium on game day. However, we cannot continue to operate as if there is not a, ca a cancer eating away at the heart and soul of this club that you play for and that we love. We have seen enough. It's pat. It's pat. It is past time. Sell the team, Steve. So this is in response to everything that's gone on. So this is a their form of protesting, uh, Steve Baldwin. So if you wonder where the flags at or where what happened to the drums and everything, they are currently protesting the team. They've been doing it the last couple of games with banners that say "Sell the team, Steve." So they're essentially just protesting Steve Baldwin at this point. And pretty much just showing their discontent. Hence, why you didn't hear them out. Uh, you didn't hear them at all during to, during today's game. Yeah, and again, I think for everyone involved, it just has to end. Whether Baldwin sells his stake or whatever, like I just, I I'm at the point now where I'm empathetic with the fans, but I also have to think about the players and the coaching staff and the people who work at the facility that isn't ownership and how much this has got to make their own lives a nightmare. Uh, you know, I, I've been a part, and this is personal uh, information for those who don't know, I worked for DC United and guest services for 10 years, and I've been a part and seen some things that ended up getting DC United in trouble. And there were some times where it was bad. 2013, look it up. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it was just a bad, a bad environment. It was bad vibes. But you don't want that to continue nor linger. And that's when good management steps up, tries to manage it for everyone, tries to, you know, eliminate the negativity to not make it fester on the field. Or even outside the field, make the work environment better. I will say in 2013, while it was terrible on the field, off the field was probably my favorite year I worked at Guest Services because we were able to eliminate the negativity and focus on our jobs to excel and be great. And that's what good management does. Right now, the ownership is not doing well to its customers. It's not doing well to its employees. And they need to figure this out. ASAP, like I said, if not before the end of the season, at least before the next draft, because you're going to have 
a wealth of talent coming in that now have essentially two seasons in one calendar year worth of soccer in their belt. And they're, some of them will be ready to raring to go the moment you draft them. So it'll be important for the spirit to get that on their belt once the draft is in. And not only that, Hey, this Friday, they have a game. <laughs> they play North Carolina at North Carolina again. So hopefully sooner rather than later, the spirit, um, can get this monkey off their back per se and move on. <laughs> I think it would be good for all parties involved. Yeah, agreed. I think that, that I think that's the key there. Play the games and move on. But for us to move on, we're gonna talk we're gonna circle back to DC United in a weird way. And that is because of the monumental announcement that MLS and Liga Mekis have done. They have announced that starting in twenty twenty three, both both uh, leagues will stop their seasons in August to play a summer tournament, basically expanding the League's Cup and involving all clubs from both leagues. So you're talking about what should be by then 30 teams in Major League Soccer and currently 18 teams in Liga Mekis. They will compete in this annual, will become an annual month-long tournament that will have the background of the World Cup as the faces on how it's going to look. Basically, it's going to be groups of four. Everybody will be involved. And we play it a month long. And the winners, top three winners, will receive uh, spots in the CONCACAF Champions League, which is being reformatted once again, because why not? Um, Mario, what are your thoughts on the fact that they're combining and making a tournament and essentially the return of our black and red in international competition oh boy we get to see toluca play here in washington dc <laughs> oh yes i was clamoring for that rematch yes it's <laughs> not clamoring for that <laughs> not then not now <laughs> I'm going to say it's interesting to say the very least. I mean, but then again, remember, we've been hearing for years that Liga Mekis and and, uh, and MLS wanted to combine and create a super league. You got it. Essentially, you got that creation of a super league. And it's it's really interesting that they came up with it on the heels of the finals of the actual League's Cup that was going on this year. But, uh, I mean, I guess just how they formatted everything, it should be fascinating to see how this works. And, well, if you can avoid having 61-year-old vice presidents playing in this thing, the more the merrier, I guess. I Look, I think it's a good concept. I was a fan of the League's Cup when they first started it. I think it the concept was great. Um because it was just the two champions. And sometimes you don't get that in the Champions League. Uh, you want to see the best of the best play. I, that's a totally American thing. We want to see the best of the best take on each other. And I totally get that. But I also want MLS teams outside of the ones that currently play in the 
Champions League to get experience of playing these big games. And currently, DC United's newest generation, Mario, you're more the historian than I am. I don't remember the last time they were in international competition. I want to guess maybe 2014. 2014. Last time time we were in international competition was the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Champions League, where we got eliminated by Querétaro in the year of 2016. Remember that year? I don't, actually. So that's why I asked. So, yeah, it was the 2015-2016 edition of the CONCACAF Champions League. And I could also say, oh, boy, we get a rematch against Querétaro. This time at Audi Field. If they're, I mean, I, and that's the other thing, too. That's in the background that everybody needs to understand. Liga Mekis have stopped promotion relegation. So it's not like you get the – you get the – constant competition that they have where you get promoted or relegated. They've stopped that. And yeah, you pay you pay a fee in Mexico to to uh, if you perform terrible, if you're not familiar with how this big kind of stopped, you pay a, a fee and you stay in the first division to just be mediocre. That, that's how it that's how it's working right now in Liga and Mekis. Yeah, you're paying a fee to stay mediocre when before it was an at well well Promotion relegation wasn't even that good before that. You know, right now it's not even promotion relegation, but before that it was an average of your points within the last three years, which never made sense to begin with. Right. And then so you had these interesting, interesting scenarios where the big teams in Mexico could possibly get relegated. I know America was at a relegation battle at one point. Chivas, Chivas is the re- relegation battle every t- two years, I think. It's more like every six months, but, you know, who's counting at this point? Uh, who, uh, yeah, there's several big teams that were in relegation battles. So it, it's weird. It's interesting. And now this whole concept coming up with the League's Cup, you get to see interesting battles and interesting competitions and see some of these places, some of these teams travel to interesting places and i know i made a joke about it before but to be more serious you're going to get these fascinating matchups like say club america versus austin fc in austin or chivas having to travel to the mythical land that's called foxborough to play the new england revolution or man hell even pumas traveling to uh, the shores of lake minnetonka to go play minnesota united so it brings about a very interesting dynamic, but I think in the long run you're going to end up seeing them just to like not fatigue their play, like their main stars. You're going to see them play with a lot of youngsters, and if you're playing youngsters with Liga Mekis, that means players with di- triple digit numbers. So get ready for say, for example, Marcos Ramirez, number 156, coming onto the field. So. It, it, it's interesting, but, you know, I, I'm like, all right, cool. It gives you this World Cup feel, but at the same time, all mixed in with the old Superliga. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I liked the Superliga. I actually did like the first two years of the Superliga. After that, after the first two years where they then moved it to... St. Louis? No, not that. More of like, so it wasn't... The point of the Superliga originally was the champions, like we have now with the League's Cup. The champ, well, first, the first one was all invited. It was 
the Galaxy because Beckham, uh, DC United because the history, and then other teams. Plus, it had like America and and Toluca and all these other teams. It was just based on invited. For, for a funny, funny, you should mention America. I was at that America, um, America DC United game in the first Super League in 2007. First off, I'd never had so much fun under watching a game under the rain, and that was the second time I'd done that in one year. I mean, and those games were fun to watch. The thing was, after the second year, you lost all the big teams because what ended up happening is it wasn't no longer the champions. It was like, okay, if you got second place in MLS Cup and you were third place in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, you were in the Superliga. And 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 if you're in Liga Mekis, it was like, okay, if you average like this amount of points and you barely survive relegation, you're in. You're in the Superliga. That's your reward. You don't get in the Champions League back then. You didn't get in the Copa Sudamericana. Or the Copa Libertadores. Or the Copa Libertadores, excuse me. You got into the Superliga. That wasn't super at all. I mean, the the last champion was the New England Revolution. Enough said. (laughs) So, I mean, enough said to say the least. Me, I'm happy for DC United. For those who live in the city know, it was good to see this past Friday an international match be tried out at Audi Field outside of the U.S. men's and women's national teams. We had El Salvador, Guatemala, essentially in a glorif- in more than just a glorified friendly because Guatemala honestly brought their U23s of players that weren't on big clubs. And El Salvador basically bought anybody who was on a bye week um, to this game, and but it packed the house. Twenty thousand strong showed up. There were still people trying to get into the building on the seventy-fifth minute, eightieth minute, <laughs> because they didn't know about, I guess, the lack of parking around the area. But that's the atmosphere I think DC United fans remember for RFK in the atmosphere that they want. That feeling of we're big time again. That feeling of international play and what makes it even better is the fact that mexico has to take the time off and mls has to take the time off meaning we're not going to get this situation that we saw a lot in champions league where if they played a home and away the liga mekis teams would play their their youngsters in the away leg get beat here in the united states and then at the home leg they would bring out all the stars. <laughs> like now you have no excuse. Like now you're gonna bring in all the big guns. Why? Because over there, they don't want to hear that, you know, Chivas lost to DC United. Or heck, Chivas lost to Cincinnati. Or or Kiretaro lost. I ever hear those magic words. <laughs> Chivas lost to Cincinnati. Whoever's the head coach of Chivas at that point loses their job. <laughs> you lost to Cincinnati. <laughs> well, I think if you lose to San Luis and you're Miami, you should lose your job. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's, if you're in the Atlanta head coach and you end up losing to, I don't know, this iteration. Chiapas. That's a throwback. Uh, yeah, you should lose your job. Uh, back, to, back to your 
original point, the last actual Superliga champion was Monarcas Morelia in 2010. They weirdly enough beat New England, who won <laughs> their only title in their history in 08. So yeah, I missed that's that last edition is what you're telling me? I missed the last edition. I think we all missed that last edition. Come on now. <laughs> we all missed that last edition of the, of the Superliga. So you, you missed nothing. But back to the whole El Salvador, Guatemala friendly. I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't. I unfortunately couldn't make it at that time. Again, I was at a wedding that day. That day, but just to see the images of Audi Field being packed for an international friendly, pretty give gave you that gives it that whole international international soccer game uh, feel that you kind of got back in the day at RFK. Now you're starting to get it a little bit with these international friendlies at Audi Field. So. With that being said, yeah, that, that that's the kind of atmosphere you're going to kind of build with this new Leagues Cup format where everybody plays everybody. And also, I got to ask, Cruz Azul, if you do end up playing in Cincinnati, will you try Skyline Chile? How will they win? <laughs> a, loser has to, a loser has to eat pasta topped with Skyline Chile. <laughs> But I think it would be fun. I'm the fact that it's now already CONCACAF if FIFA sanction tells you everything you need to know. And also if you're that person that's like, this is all about money, you're dang right, the TV contracts are up. So and they're no longer tied to the US men's and women's national teams. So gotta make also, money somehow. <laughs> also, if you're saying that have you ever met CONCACAF before? All they do is try to get money. Just saying, like, yes, this is all about money, sure. But when has it never been about money in CONCACAF? But that's enough for us and our hatred of CONCACAF. We can save that for another podcast. Otherwise, before we let you go, Mario, tell the people what they can learn more about you. All right. If you want to see what I'm working on, or you just want to see photos of me, actually, videos of me actually dancing cumbia at this wedding that I attended to, you can follow me on Twitter at Mario Maya One. You want to find out what's going on in DMV and the world around you, you can follow Tiempo Latino too on Twitter at El Tiempo Latino. You can find them on the inner on the wide world interwebs at eltiempolatino.com. And if you can't really afford a computer and have no way of actually trying to get into digital format, they have a hard copy for you, too. Just go to your local newsstand or your local metro station. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more. Special shout out, as always, to Cal McLeod and Patek for the intro music and music you hear on the outro. Remember to rate and subscribe, as always, on Anchor, Spotify, all your audio platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Adios.